Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. This is your host, Dave Lewis, and today on the program, I am joined by Nicholas Draca. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at Tessian. And just uh, before I welcome, let me let you know that our relationship goes back 12 years, and you guys are in for a treat because we're going to go a little bit down memory lane. But what we want to talk about today is Nicola's approach to hiring, nurturing, and onboarding team members. Well, not actually in that order. I would go hire, onboard, and nurture. But I'm going to let him talk about that. But before we get started, I just want to remind you guys that a few weeks ago, well, it depends on, I guess, when you're listening to this, we launched our YouTube channel because here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. But on YouTube, we show you the methods and technologies for driving growth. So either go to demandgen.tv or you can search demandgen on YouTube. Both places will take you there. And what's really cool about the video, not only can you see uh, these methods, but you get to like, you get to comment, and I get to interact with you. So I would love to hear from you guys. Let me know what you're thinking about the videos. And if this is your first time on the podcast and you want to find your way back, be sure to click on subscribe on your podcast app so that we get you a new episode every single week, which is what we do. Without further ado, Nicola, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Dave. I want you to know, Nicola, I did take a walk down memory lane and I went into this thing called Salesforce. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a CRM in the cloud. It's really cool. And we use it. <laughs> um, I did a search for InfoBlox uh, yeah. to go back and I found that it was June 5th, 2008, was the closed one opportunity date when you and your crew hired us. The opportunity name says, ready for this? Just the words setup and deployment. That's how <laughs> narrow things were back then because we didn't even put the name of the marketing automation system. It was just setup and deployment. And clearly our team knew what we were setting up and deploying. So that was when you were bringing in Eloqua for the very first time at, at Infoblox. And Infoblox had acquired your company where you were the, the co-founder and CMO of iPanto. Am I saying it right? That is correct. So tell me the story because it never gets old because uh, you and I pretty much have a very similar story about when you brought in Eloqua, the conversation you had with your CFO. I love it. Yeah, thank you. And I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so what happened is my, my background is I come from a sales background, uh, super driven by by revenue, super driven by numbers. And starting in marketing, um, I was at Infoblox moving to the Valley from Europe and was asked to work on Dimension. Uh, at that time, was a little bit of a new practice. My uh, marketing cloud uh, was Market2Lead, WebEx. Market2Lead was a marketing automation tool at that time, uh, WebEx, so um, webinar platform, and we had Salesforce CRM. And I had a presentation of Eloqua. Um, I was blown away by it, quickly understood. Again, I'm, I, I come from sales, but I have a computer science degree. So quickly figure out and understood the power of the platform and had to go and convince my CFO, my CEO to, to buy it. The issue was the price, the price tag, if I recall correctly, was something like 100K. And I went to see my CFO and that I didn't know for a long time, six months. And I'm like, hey, I have that idea. We should buy Eloqua and implement marketing automation. Was super excited about it. 
And he's like, okay, why not? And how much is it? And I'm like, $100,000. And he paused, looked at me and said, but Nicola, this is two times your overall budget for the year. Why, <laughs> why, why would you buy that? And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Started posing in my head thinking, and I'm like, look, if we buy Alacroix, we have like, I think, 30 sales rep. Average deal size is 20K. I promise and I commit that I'm able to close one extra deal for every single salesperson. What do you say? And I think he smiled. He loved the thinking around it. Uh, I had, of course, to explain it a little bit more, but I had the support from my CFO. My CEO at that time was a startup, right? And the head of sales of like, hey, you seem to have a vision. You seem to understand what you're going to do with it. Uh, let's do it. And then, of course, uh, talk to you guys. It is a very similar story. I'm glad I'm glad he went with it because the rest is history. Uh, but I had, I had that similar discussion. I wonder if it still happens today. I don't know if it's still the same, but I, I walked into Sig Anderman. He was a CEO of Ellie Mae. And then I won't repeat it because it's pretty much the same conversation. He was just basically saying, you guys bought Photoshop for like $1,000. What is this thing for $100,000? And we have this similar. Well, I, you know, it's a great opportunity to say thank you for over a decade of shared learnings with each other. And at that time, you know, when you, when you brought us in, uh, you probably didn't know who the hell demand gen was, let alone me. And it's, it's great. The journey that we've been on to watch you, um, for those that, uh, if you haven't already pulled up, uh, Nicola on LinkedIn, again, Nicholas Draka, uh, let me just share with you. He ran, uh, global marketing operations at LinkedIn uh, for about four years. So you have a little bit of that Midas touch, by the way, wherever you go, great success happens. And in that in that role, you did some really cool things um, like your marketing hacking day and, and built a really great team. By the way, I also looked in the database, Nicola, and so many of the people that have worked with you and for you at Infoblox and LinkedIn and even um, Twilio, to see their careers advancing and the success that they have had learning from you and the mentoring from you. I don't know if you've ever taken pause to really go, where is everybody now that's been part of my team? And uh, you brought a lot of growth, a lot of success to the people. So congratulations. Thank Great. you. Uh, the other the other gem that I dug out before we dive into your hiring, onboarding, and nurturing lessons of success, uh, I did a search in my Dropbox for... I used the words CMO dash and immediately it came up and I found the Excel file, which I'm wondering if you're cool if we post that on LinkedIn for people to see. It was, I would, I would credit it as the very first CMO dashboard uh, ever built. And this is, it looks like it's June. I can't tell the year because it looked like I opened it and saved it, but it goes back. Oh, nine. Oh, nine. Okay. So um, it's, it's on my desktop. We're not screen sharing right now. But it's, it's so colorful, it's so clean, it's so crisp. And whether you would use the exact same panels to this day, like one of them was web traffic, uh, and below that you have your conversion to lead rate, and then you have channel and the number of leads generated um, by the two channels. But down below is where the good stuff is, right? The pipeline generation and bookings. And I wonder how different you would create this dashboard to this day. But what I want to share with everyone, you can tell me, Nicola, if we're, if we're going to take a picture of it and share it because people like nostalgia. But do you remember what you said to me about the metrics uh, on this dashboard? Yeah, I said, and I would leave it to you to comment, is like, 
you want to have a dashboard. And by the way, when you're going to present it, nobody will be able to challenge it because they will not be able to get back to the source of data. Yeah. That stuck with me to this to this day because it's still so relevant. So, I mean, just to break it down for you guys, there's one tab that says CMO overview, and then there's another tab that says CMO data. And you probably figured it out in this Excel spreadsheet that the CMO overview visuals are being fed by the CMO data. And Nicholas' point is he could have typed anything in those cells and it'd be really hard for anyone in the organization to challenge those numbers. But I'm sure there was a lot of integrity to this, but I thought it was such a funny expression because it is so true. And to this day, who's going to challenge campaign attribution and, and other things when it really gets down to it? There's, it's uh, as much an art as a science uh, on, on reporting. That's great. Uh, did you want to talk about the hacking day before we get into it? Because you have always been committed to team development. It's so much a part of who you are. Uh, from your coaching uh, style. And so either we can talk about it in the context of some of the other uh, recommendations you have in your approaches, but how'd the hacking day come come to be? Yeah, so we've been, um, so I, I, I have something is that I, I don't know what I don't know, not super smart as a statement, but the fact is I do believe we live in a world where for marketing, all the dimensions we have, right? Right persona, right channel, right content, uh, right offer, keep moving, keep shifting and keep evolving. And if you don't have that mindset of gross hacking, this is a little bit trendy and hype, or that mindset of experimenting or reassessing things, it's going to be really, really hard to move forward from my perspective. Um, I have an example like that. Um, a couple of years ago, my daughter was in high school working on an entrepreneurial project. And part of the business she had to build was to sell uh, a cyber with a group mm-hmm. of people. And so she did a lot of her project, uh, went to buy the cyber, sell it, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, after a few months, she had to present the result or progress of our project, of our little company with our friends. She worked on our deck and being a dad, I'm like, hey, and being in marketing, I'm like, okay, can I see the deck? Like, can I give my two cents to whatever you've done? I'm, I'm really curious on one side. On the other end, I'd love to try to share some advice. And then she, she goes through the deck. She presented to me and she's like, you know what? Like this farmer market, they really don't work. Like we've been doing this for weekend and weekend, but we keep selling on Instagram. And this was like a couple of years ago. And I look at her and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, and thinking about my job as a, as a CMO or thinking I was an expert in marketing. I'm like, how do you sell on Instagram? And she looked at me, she's like, what are you talking about? It's like, we set up an account and we have 500 or 600 followers and people ping us there. We make promo and that's how we sell. And I'm like, okay, uh, does that make sense? <laughs> Why not? Uh, but just to show that this new channel being Instagram, which might not be relevant for B2B, which is wrong, by the way, it's relevant for B2B uh, mm-hmm. because of the power of targeting and segmentation you can do in that channel. It's a channel that you have to learn. And you, if you come with idea about the fact of what is going to work, what is not going to work ahead of time without having that culture of experiment, you're not going to be able to push it to the limit, learn something and, and bring value to your company. And so as a culture across any organization I've been working at, um, we have that concept of experimenting and exploring where we are spending like 20% of our time on that topic. And I can share more after uh, on, on developing talent and how we do that. But it's really like 
and grain and core to our DNA, experimenting. Yeah. I do, to your point about growth hacking and the term, like when some people connect to me on LinkedIn and there's hacking in their subtitle, it, it does make me kind of tilt my head to the side like, mm, I don't really know. But the concept of growth hacking, which goes way, way back, I think the 2010 when um, Sean Ellis, I think he was one of the guys like helping companies with their growth. And it was like, you can't do things the way that you were doing it before to get this kind of exponential um, growth. And I think it's, it's really cool to give marketers the opportunity as you've done to come up with these concepts and, and present them. It's almost a little bit like American Idol for you guys, right? Cause they, they only have a very short amount of time to present their ideas and get voted to move forward or not. Um, I want to dive into your, your recommendations and prescriptions for people growing their teams, right? We're, we are now working in a time where marketing is more complex than ever. And I don't know if we ever talked about it, by the way, but we both have backgrounds in computer science. So we love this technology stuff. But let's face it, marketing has extreme complexity. And so you and I used to talk a lot about, hey, I'm thinking of hiring this guy. Do you know him, Dave? And we would talk about that skills or expertise, or I'm hiring this gal to my marketing team. She's one of the candidates. What do you think? And you would always do your research and and knew that that decision, kind of the hire slow, fire fast, mentality is good. But how are you hiring today? What kind of discussions are you having with candidates and how are you sourcing talent for the team? Yeah. So the way I I think about it with my team and with my leads and what we're going to look at others and skills and experience and what, what you, what you would expect, right. Um, we're looking for passion. Um, and what I mean by passion is passion of your job, if you're in Dimension, in marketing ops, in PMM, in PR, in content, like just seeing like that core passion for your job, passion for the the people, the team you're going to work with. And so I would explain this. I can go in more details if you're interested. Sure. And number three is passion for the mission of the company and what we are solving for. And, and if I have to go deeper on that part is understanding the mission, getting it, and understand how we get to make life easier for our customer and for our end user. I think it's it's really, really important. I do believe on the last point is really, really hard, specifically when you're in marketing, to market something you don't like. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've never been able to do it. 100%. I didn't, I didn't quite understand this as much as I valued it when uh, in my career, when products would come out and I was like, this, this is not a very sexy or exciting product. I mean, I worked at Fairlawn slash Natopia for 10 years, Nicola, and we brought networking products to market. And even though we invented networking over telephone wire, which was very cool and game changing for uh, the entire world to be able to network computers using the telephone wire in the wall versus running new cabling, they were networking products. They were connectors and hubs and routers and that type of stuff. And I did really have a passion for the connectivity of it, but there were products that we would come out later time. And I, you know, was like, Hmm. So I totally relate to what you're saying. And in fact, my daughter, uh, you know, this is her first year out of college. She's working in marketing operations. She's down at Telium. And when she was interviewing with them and she called me, she's like, their products really cool. And the company culture is really cool. And like their tagging technology is amazing. And she really got hyped up. And I was glad to see that. I didn't know what her feeling would be, but uh, it was great. Um, did, have there been times, I mean, when you were at LinkedIn, clearly game-changing platform for for all of us 
in terms of our careers. Have you had a time that happened where you didn't feel that passion and that's why you're so looking for it? Like what, what became your sense of that's got to be a priority? Um, I've been lucky pretty early. I think I, I don't think I've ever worked for a company where I didn't have a passion for the, for the, for the product. I think initially was unconscious. It was mm-hmm. just, and, and then became more conscious in my selection, uh, when, when picking my next job, uh, really as a, as a key driver, like part, part of a scorecard, you know, it's like, it was a big thing. Um, so, uh, fortunately for me, it's, I always loved, uh, technology. I was, uh, marketing. Have you ever thought about, I'm going to ask you a somewhat selfish question, but you, you've had us be part of your team several times in your career journey. Yes. When you're talking to an agency or a partner, is the criteria, is the criteria different? I imagine it is, but I, I wonder if you've ever thought through that, like why work with an agency and what you're looking for? Um, it, it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, the first two would apply. Um, passion for your job, meaning in an agency, meaning hopefully everybody has a passion for their job because it is so core and they're supporting so many people and passion for, for the people. Uh, I consider agency as an extension of our team. Like we are pretty transparent with, we, when we work with agency, we share the same framework for goals. Um, we, we share all the, the data as much as we can that we have internally and in the same way that my team is going to have KPI to, to meet, uh, they're going to have the same. So they are really virtually an extension of our team. And that's how we see the relationship. And I would say for the last one, passion for your customer, uh, it is the same, except in that case, the customer is ourself, right? So yeah. passion for the marketing department, if I may, and the marketing function, if, if, if I may say it this way. No, so I appreciate it. I, I, I wouldn't have thought to, to ask it, but I guess from a selfish perspective, I do sometimes wonder like, why does someone hire us? Why do we beat our competition or why are we brought in to, to support the internal team? And, and I do it. And I got to tell you, like there are times when people reach out to us in a particular market or technology, and it's not that exciting, I'm sure, to the team. It's hard for us to relate to that particular product or market, but the companies that we've worked with and we've worked with some of the best companies out there in the world. And, um, Sometimes even the best brands and the best markets, it comes back down to the people. Like how are our clients in the relationship with them? If they're shitty people, they're no fun to work with. And if, and if they're great people and passionate people, and that's the thing about you, and I'm not you know, needing to stroke your ego, is that you do love what you do. You really care about your team and you have a strong passion uh, for marketing. Um, talk about onboarding. So you, you've now hired new talent, and you've developed pretty much a playbook for onboarding people. And I think it would be awesome if you could share it. Yeah. What what we do, and it, it's pretty new. It's something we've been doing for the last, I've been doing for the last like four to five years, like new to my playbook is when somebody starts um, on my team or on one of my team, the first invitations they're going to see in their calendar is an invitation for them to present their day 30. Uh, presentation, right? So 30 days after starting, they have to come and present to the entire marketing team. And what do they have to present? They have to present, there is a template. Uh, I have templates for everything. I'm a little bit uh, a template addict. And and the template is slide one, uh, what is your job in less than 15 words? 
So, okay. So that's slide one. Uh, that comes from Fred Kaufman for the one fa big fan of, uh, Fred Kaufman. So there are a couple of videos. So that's slide one. Slide two is something we call relationship 15. The big picture of it is who are the five people for you to be successful in your job in the company? Who are the five people for your team to be successful? And who are the five people for you in your career? Okay, and you have to, to, to list those people. Then you have to do a stop, start, continue. More or less, what have you learned based on your expertise? And what are the three things we should stop doing, start doing, and continue doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, people are pretty surprised by that. They're like, I just started. Like, why should I tell you what we're going to do? Stop doing, start doing, continue doing. And the feedback here is, you are in charge of your destiny and we hired you for that job because you have expertise and you're going to come with a fresh set of eyes and tell us based on your expertise, based on what you've seen before, mm -hmm. what you think is, is working and not working and what do you recommend? And the purpose of that meeting again is not like the entire marketing against that new hire. That's not the way it works. Is the entire marketing team listening to the new person that joins the team who is going to bring value to tell us with that set of fresh eyes how we should think about marketing moving forward within their expertise, right? Yeah. And, the, and the last one, um, there's a little bit more, of course, but there is one big one that I love. It's a BHAG. So it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. And here's a question is for people starting now, so we are in uh, August still, I'm like, okay, can you tell us if you have a big dream, something you want to do it's a stretch goal by end of next year what is it mm -hmm. so if you are in bd it could be i'm going to share a couple of examples uh, if you're in bd is i want to sign a million dollar deal five million dollar deal if i am in pr is i want to double share voice i am in dimension i want to i don't know triple inbound like some type of, of vision and the, the name of the game here is to get people to think big, to understand what is their North Star and where they want to go and mm -hmm. what they want to achieve, which mm -hmm. is going to get them really, really excited. And here, if I have some people who worked for me or work with me in the past, uh, I'm sure I'm sharing a trick and they're going to make fun of me, I think. But my goal here is like six months from now, I want them to realize that it's possible and that they're going to do it. And that BHAG is not a BHAG anymore. That BHAG is their goal a year and a half from now. Mm -hmm. And when you start seeing that transformation and you empower and demand excellence of people to go on that path, magic happens. Yeah. We, um, I mean, for everybody listening, find a piece of paper or I guess your computer, but it'd be better to write it down, way better to write it down. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. And take Nicola's advice and write down a goal, whether it's a personal goal, maybe you want to lose weight, maybe you want to get in shape, define what that is. Maybe you want to do something even bigger and hairier and more audacious than that. If you write it down, the percentage chance of you actually completing that is, I believe, over 80%. Um, I'll, I'll look it up as we continue. But I have done that my whole life, Nicola, uh, since I, well, my whole professional life. Uh, when I worked for Microsoft, the very first training class that they gave us, Nicola, was 
um, priority management. They didn't call it time management because you can't manage time. You can manage your priorities. And the very first page of that training book was for us to write down our goals, just as you're doing for your team. By the way, if, if BHAG or Big Harry Audacious Goal is new to you, uh, Jim Collins is, is, I think, credited with that in his book, Built to Last. But writing down your goals, not only are you going to have a chance to achieve them at a high probability, but that is the most rewarding thing that you can do is take that piece of paper that you're writing something down today and look back and go, I wrote it down and I did it. And it will teach you that you can really accomplish uh, anything. Nicola, you know, you know my team. I mean, we go back as far as we go back and, you know, folks on the team like Tom Speck and others. And when we were uh, during an offsite very early on in Demand Gen's history, I think it was like our second year, I did a, a exercise with the group and I said, and I put up a cover of t- uh, Inc. Magazine. And I said, I want you guys to think for a moment that five years from now, Inc. Magazine is writing a story about Demand Gen and the work that we do in our company and our culture. Let's go around the room and talk about what they're saying about us. And we captured it down and we wrote it down. And it was actually a year and a half later that we were featured in Inc. Magazine for our growth. And it was really cool for the team to look back and go, wow, like little old demand gen, we, we can do this. And it was, it was a catalyst, I think, for us to, to grow. And the fact that you're taking your employees and saying, first, what is your job? And then you said, share your first learning and and start doing, stop doing, and continue doing great, great, great um, onboarding. I uh, I onboard every new employee. I don't know if you know that. So every single employee that joins Demand Gen, I have an onboarding session with them within their first 48 hours. And the number one thing that I tell them beyond like company culture and, and some vision stuff is please do not wait to speak up. Speak up today on this call with you. Speak up tomorrow. Speak up every single day and tell us what you're observing and learning and recommending because I don't want you to think that we have it all figured out or that you have to put in some kind of time dues before you start helping us become a better company. Maybe it's your onboarding and there's an idea that you have of a way that we could do it better. Well, don't rob us of that learning uh, by doing it. So great. Great advice. What have you, what surprised you when you've done that with employees? Have you ever got to the point where you're like, wow, this person's 30 days in and describing their job and boy, that's not what they were hired for. I don't know if that was good or bad, but have you had any oh shit moments where um, that taught you that maybe that hiring wasn't great or maybe reinforced it like, wow, this person's exceeding my expectations? Um, That's a great question. What I've seen is great hire deliver a great 30 day plan. Um, always, uh, they are clear. They got it. They know what they want to do. They have, they have their North Star. They have a path and, and they are seizing the opportunity to say, wow, I'm, I, I am in that environment where I'm going to be able to do what I love and I'm going to be able to push myself. And so this has been consistent over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, mostly in the interview process, I also ask that question of what's your job. Mm-hmm. People think don't 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 uh, tick on it. You know, when I ask that question, they're like, this, I think in their head, they're like, this is a dumb question. And it, it's really fascinating to see what people answer on their current job. Uh, mm-hmm. Often they don't have clarity about what their job is. And, and this is kind of a no-go uh, often as part of the interview, interview process in my head. What I've seen is 
in case we are not on the same page, it's a good time to calibrate and just to say, hey, 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 this is what you would like to do. This is what we need to do. And, and, and let's, let's review the what's your job here because you're, you're off track, which is mm-hmm. okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to say personally, I'm going to share that experience. When I was at, uh, when I was at Twilio, uh, I started at Twilio again, uh, incredible tech, super complex marketing motion. It was like business to developer to business. And, and we were trying to figure it out. And I spent two months. Uh, working on that with my boss, clarifying what my job was. It doesn't mean that we were not on the same page. We were on the same page, let's say 70%. Mm -hmm. But as we were defining a new playbook, we were not completely there. And I consciously, 101 after 101, came back to it where I wanted to have that conclusion to what my job was and what I had to solve for. And why? It's because what I didn't want to happen is a year from my hiring date to claim victory on something and say, hey, I nailed it. I did A, B, and C. And my boss looking at me saying, okay, I'm glad you're happy, but this is not what I was expecting. And and, and I didn't want this to happen. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people in general to be to be clear on what your job is, be super aligned with your boss and your manager, and be aligned with your key stakeholders because you're going to use this as a why uh, many, many times on, on mm-hmm. why you're doing what you're doing and, and why you are asking for time and resources to be able to achieve that. Sometimes I'm going a little bit sidetrack. Marketers do a poor job marketing themselves internally and explaining the why. I think we have superpower. Uh, I don't think everybody really grasps what we can do and how we can do it with the technology we have available today. And we need to slow down and re-explain all of that. And I think explaining what your job is and how you're going to do it and what you have available for it and being clear on it and clear to your stakeholder is one of your key to success. Because otherwise, you're just looking at yourself. In French, you say you look at your belly button. I don't know if we say the same in English. And and you're just going to move forward looking yeah. at yourself, being super happy uh, of what you've achieved, but maybe it's not aligned to the big picture of what we're trying to solve as a team. Nicola, that is such a profound statement that I'm going to repeat it and I'm going to try to make a, a call to action, maybe for you and I or for the people on the podcast. Like Marketing is horrible at marketing marketing. I'm going to say it that way. I, I have said versions of this, as you have said, and it's something that this discipline needs to solve. And what I what I observe, just to share with you guys, is when I talk to you, there's not any phone call that I ever began with, hey, Nicola, how are you doing? Good. What's going on? Busy. Super busy. And then we talk about those things. And I hear you talk about, all of you, the work that you're doing, the great work that you're doing, the struggles and learnings and lessons and accomplishments. But when I talk to sometimes the sales organizations, they have no clue. They have no idea what marketing is up to. I can't imagine what the executive team wonders. And I have seen it throughout my career. And I've probably been guilty of it as well, for sure. And it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's the humble factor. It's that whether it's a CMO dashboard, which is numbers and metrics and impact, we're talking about. I mean, even our own marketing here, Justin, you're listening to this. This Justin's the producer, among other things, uh, for Demand Gen Radio. And Justin, 
you've heard me say about how marketing is not great at marketing marketing. And when you guys say, oh, it's in a glip channel, it's in the marketing calendar, we posted that, nobody's reading that and nobody can hear the tone of how significant that initiative or project is. So we crank all this stuff out of marketing, right, Nicola? And then you know, we, we, we don't know necessarily how to amplify the work that we are doing. It's so important. So maybe you and I can join, do a joint blog or something about what you can do to do it better there. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. It's not a job interview, but I'm going to put you in the position because I want to talk about your role and I want to talk specifically about the difference between a VP of marketing and a CMO. Because when we first met each other, you were running marketing operations and demand marketing and progressed in your um, role. I mean, you had been a CMO before, but that's when we met each other. And then uh, you've become CMO in the last company roles. One of the podcasts I have coming up is about that. How do you make the leap from VP of marketing to CMO? So I'm going to ask you the question is, what's the delta? What's the difference in the roles? Is it a title or is there a true difference between CMO and VP of marketing in in your mind? Because now you are and have been one. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I think, um, so first, company will, I mean, that, that, that think about hiring CMO, I think are thinking strategically about marketing. It's a, it's a, like a VP of marketing versus a CMO. I mean, I know titles are title, uh, but the fact is if the CEO of a strong appetite to hire a CMO, uh, from my perspective is what I've seen is there is that sense that, Marketing is going to be at the core of the strategy um, when going to market, like the company strategy. Um, that's one. I think that the difference, and you were referencing, so I'm come from an ops background, demand background. And mm-hmm. of course, when I make the switch to lead a complete marketing team, I never did PMM, really. Uh, neither I did Marcom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um on the PMM side, it's a highly complex job. It's a highly complex practice with a high level of expectation from the product side, from the sales side. And I will say that uh, between uh, PMM and Marcom, PMA might be the easiest one uh, to, to learn fast because your chat kind of wired this way, plus you have a passion for the product, which is going to help you facilitate that transition to have a good PMM playbook. The Markham side, I think, is the most complex. For me personally, uh, not being, meaning I'm from France, so English is not my first language. It's where I had the most, what, what I was the most worried about or shy mm-hmm. about giving my point of view. Uh, again, mm-hmm. English not being my language. But the big trick is just to to flip it. And what I mean by to flip it is, what is what are your core strengths? which is Dimension Ops and that part of the machine, you need to spend less time on it and you need to build that muscle and force yourself to -hmm. spend time on what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And initially, that's not what we human beings do. We do it the other way around. We wake up in the morning. We're going to do in our inbox the first exciting thing we have and what we love doing. And we're going to keep for the end of the day or we're going to be like, it's going to be like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. And we're like, We have that to do, not super exciting, and we're not going to give the best of it. And this is where we have, we really have to to flip that and 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 learn it. Um, I think that the big uh, that that was a big change for me, and and yeah. I loved it again. So many so many learnings. Um, it has been incredible. I uh, 
I've done the four quadrant experience uh, in offsites with my team, which is, you know, what do you love doing and what it, you know, <laughs> whether you're good at doing it because um, there's stuff that you love doing that you're not good at doing. And then there's things that you're not good at doing that you have to do. So it's, it's, it's very good to reflect on where you're spending your time and whether you're making the best contributions to the organization. Let's talk about nurturing. So you've hired good talent, you've onboarded them, and you've put them through this program uh, to have them present what their job is and their learnings and what the company or the department or even them should be doing, not doing, and continue doing. Now what? How do you, how do you help them and coach them to become the best that they're possible doing? So the way we're going to do that, and I say we because I do this with my with my leads and with the help of the other team uh, member, of course, is um, we're going to be like super clear on how we set up objective on a quarterly basis. Another framework, so we use uh, OKRs like Google, but yep. the fact is we're going to do QBR. We're going to define OKRs, look back of what we achieve over the last three months, look at what we're going to work for the next three months. And the way it works is we have some clear theme for the year on what we're going to work on. Mm -hmm. And then what is expected from everybody within the organization is to do a bottom-up and to tell us what they want to work on. So it seems a little bit freestyle when you do this with the entire organization. But actually, the magic comes when what people are coming with, coming up with, align with, with, the, with your priorities when uh, uh, top-down align with bottoms-up. And this is where I think part of the magic and where it happens. And of course, uh, we're going to review it. We're going to discuss it. I believe, and I share with everybody, is like, hey, setting up goals on a quarterly basis is a negotiation. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a friendly negotiation, but we're going to have a negotiation. I'm going to push you. You may sandbag a little bit, but I'm still going to push. Or my leads are going to push. And, and, and we're going to take it from there. And, and once we've set this up, you're free to go for three months. You just go. You have your swim lane. You're clear about what you're going to have to work on. I'm going to help you define what you're not going to work on, which is as important. Actually, it's more important than anything else uh, in startups, right? In startups, the issue is not what you should work on. The issue is what am I not going to work on? So, we're going to make that list. You went back to a list before it. Here, it's the same story. It's like, write down for the next three months what you're not going to work on just to mm -hmm. set yourself up for success on what you decided to focus your energy on 80% of the time. And then we as a team are going to do everything for you as an individual to be successful. We'll, we'll do any, meaning we, we really will do anything. How do you do that? It, it's based on those like leadership principle that we have, which are um, demanding excellence that comes from LinkedIn. So always a high bar, whatever you do, we have a high bar for, mm -hmm. for what we deliver, or we believe we have a high bar, or we're going to set a high bar. Number two is we're going to empower. We're going to empower you to take risk. We're going to empower you to try new things. We're going to empower you to execute your plan. And the last one is uh, customer centricity. Always, always think about the customer. That's meaning we, again, belly button story. We're not looking at our belly button. We are, we are working for our customer. And, and, and with that, 
when we go at high high pace, what we do as well is we create that safe zone mm-hmm. um, that we call experiment. I talked about it initially, where when we are trying something new, we're going to call it an experiment, which is fair. And in those experiments, we are okay to fail. Uh, that's a big, I think it's something big. In Europe, the culture is not there. In, mm-hmm. in the US, there is a big culture of learning by failing. I think in the Valley, it's, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, you're going to take some risk. You're going you, you're gonna to execute on a set of experiments. And if you succeed, fantastic. And then we'll get learnings from it. And we're going to scale it nicely. If you fail... It's okay to fail, but you need to know why. Okay, don't yeah. come back and say it did not work. It's like yeah. that's not going to be enough of a discussion, uh, and that will not go well. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you can fail, but let's explain why and how we're going to do that. And I'm going to share a couple of examples. Is um, at HackerRank, we never had our own uh, franchise of event um, uh, at that time. And, and so we're like, hey, we're going to do an experiment, and we had a big office space, and we're like, we're going to do – a, our first prospect customer event. Um, so we put all the things together. We think about demanding excellence, customer centricity, empowerment, blah, 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 share learnings. I also invite the team all the time. I'm like, hey, whatever you're going to do, somebody else has done it. Like it's, it's more or less pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Try to find those people, learn from it and make it better. And so as part of the process as well, I will push people to talk to other people in other companies through vendors, through my relationship, through whatever it takes, and, and user group. And I'm like, you, you need to do that research just to learn it. We did our first event, and um, we were planning to get 100 people, meaning our big dream was to get 100 people. We got, I think, 15 people attending. Terrible. Okay. <laughs> um, really bad. And the person in charge of that event was, of course, not happy about herself. Yeah. And was pretty stressed. She's like, Nicola, like we try, it didn't work. I'm sorry. And after the event, I looked at her as like, hey, you know what? We're going to do it again. And we're going to have 100, 100 people next time. And she looked at me and she's like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think we know why. Uh, our segmentation was poor. The timing was not good. The targeting was not good. Like we know the driver of why we are where we are. Our yeah. alignment with the sales team was not there. And I'm like, I've seen your, I see how you put together event. You have that passion for the customer. Like we have all the right thing in place. We know what is wrong. We're going to fix it and we're going to scale it uh, really nicely. And guess what? Later we scaled it and so on and so on and so on. We did exactly the same at Tessian recently where where we had our first event. Like I I go to 20, but that was more or less uh, it. It was our first bigger event in person, 20 people in a room. And I, I've been in the job for two weeks and and uh, talked to the person in charge of event in, in Europe. And I'm like, this is this is great. It's a great start. Next one will be 100 people um, all together uh, attending. Plus, we're going to live stream. And they're like, you're kidding, right? We've never done live stream. We never had 100 people. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, we can do that. And, and, and now we have like in the thousand um, people registering for our event, uh, which is pretty incredible in a, in, a, in, a, in a six months time. By having that attitude, that support, demanding excellence, empowerment, customer centricity, you can go really, really far 
and invite your team to push themselves to push the limit of what they are doing. Well, the other thing that you do is you believe in them. It comes through with what you say and how you lead and how you coach. And I, and I, I want to wrap with something I've never shared with you, but I don't think I would have grokked it if I didn't have this forum with you, doing a podcast with you, which is, you know, you said a few times that English isn't your first language. And I would tell you that everybody on this podcast, at least I must speak for myself and I'm making, I'm making that belief system. You are so articulate and have such strong advice that listening to you, I mean, I could, I could spend, I, I've always enjoyed our time together and, and I feel like I'm, I'm cut short this time. Uh, so Nicola, keep, keep sharing that advice. And for those of you who uh, are not connected to, to Nicola, look them up. I got one last question for you and it's on a personal note because if you guys haven't figured out, Nicola's French and you know what the French do really well is cheese. And where is the best source for cheese since we're locked in America? Uh, so recently, <laughs> it's a fun <laughs> question. Um, I finally, after 12 years here, uh, found a place. Uh, it's, it's a French place called fromage.com, uh, F-R-O-M-A-G-E-S.com, that cheap uh, uh, French cheese uh, across the world. The price is good. Like you're not going to pay double, triple, whatever. You have, The selection is incredible. And this is my go-to place. Easy. Buy online. It comes fresh within three or four days. It's uh, incredible. Oh, there you have it. And we're not sponsored by them, by the way. But this man knows cheese. Back when we could get out of our homes and countries, he would go to Europe and bring back for his family and, and friends uh, wonderful cheeses. And I knew you had a solution. Leave it to the internet. Um, Nicola, thank you so much. I want to continue this. I miss uh, that, that. Our couple's night dinner was still a, a highlight of our time together. Really enjoyed it. It's been way too long, but thanks for joining me on the podcast and sharing your wisdom on, on hiring and onboarding and nurturing and I encourage you guys to uh, connect with him. And then, hey, we'll, we'll talk offline, but maybe we'll get that uh, CMO dashboard posted on the web as a piece of nostalgia, my friend. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Don't forget to click subscribe so you hear all the new episodes. And if you haven't already, go check out demandgen.tv on YouTube. We'll catch you later. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.